welcome to Leap Into Your Story podcast, where you discover your inner story, break down the process, and meet others who've done it so you can leap into your own story. We interview amazing guests who provide powerful insights that inspire you to get your story told. Be sure to visit our website at leapintoyourstory.com, and while you're there, subscribe and like us via your favorite social media network. Now sit back, get ready to take some notes, and let's get started. This episode of Leap Into Your Story podcast is brought to you by Leap Into Your Story course. Visit leapintoyourstory.com where you have a guide to get your story told. I'm Victoria Anderson, and welcome to the Leap Into Your Story podcast where you discover your inner story work through the process and meet others who've done it. We interview amazing guests who provide powerful insights that will inspire you to leap into your own story. So be sure to visit our website at leapintoyourstory.com. And while you're there, subscribe and like us via your favorite social media networks. In this episode, we're going to learn about it's never too late to rewrite your life story. My guest today is Monk Coleman. Monk has healed himself from alcoholism, poverty, and dysfunctional relationships. He channels his energy into spiritual awakening, being an ethical vegan, and is a three-time national pro physique bodybuilder. And in his 50s, He's competing at a pro level with men half his age. Monk has recently published a book, Love Over Fear. So welcome, Monk. It's a great pleasure to have you uh, on the podcast today. Now, before we go into our topic and questions, let's have you tell us a little bit about your journey and and how did this transformation uh, start? Ooh, okay. Started in 1969. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good year, my friend. It's a good year. Yeah, yeah. Nineteen sixty-nine. <laughs> but you know, growing up, it's like you don't you don't you don't really know what life is all about growing up. You only have your own perception about things. And uh, a lot of times when you grow up in certain situations, your perceptions about the world are not good, and your beliefs about the world are not very good. And the beliefs about yourself aren't very good. So once these beliefs become solidified, once you really believe something about yourself, you almost look at the world to confirm those beliefs that you have. So for instance, if you believe something already, you're gonna look for that belief system and it's gonna create your reality. I had a conversation this morning with somebody and we were talking about if you already believe something, that's all you're going to see when you look at it. You're not going to see anything else. So this is how you get programming works. This is how you get this view of what the world looks like, what relationships look like, what you're, you're capable of, what your limits are. It's created at a very young age. And then when those are created, then your life starts to manifest around those belief systems. So if you can imagine being raised in uh, foster care or being severely abused as a young child, sexually, physically, emotionally, your views 
your core beliefs about those views are going to start to shape your reality. And growing up, you're going to start having everything that you believe. It's not about what you want. It's about what you truly believe at, a, at the deepest level. So I wanted different things for myself growing up. My, my father died when I was about three and a half years old. We were very poor. Um, my mother had children with um, different men. My father was an addict and sold drugs and was violent. Um, his lifestyle caught up to him at, in his 30s. He passed away in his 30s. And um, going forward, I didn't want to be any of this. I didn't like my living situation. I didn't like what I was experiencing as a kid, but it ended up that I started having the same experiences as an adult. So I started to act out my father, his role and my mother's role together. So it's not about what you want, it's about what you believe. So at a subconscious level, my beliefs about what life looks like was this, it was full of dysfunction. And in that, we, we really know the truth about what we came here to do and what we came here to be. But the story is not, it doesn't align with that truth. So internally, there's always some type of internal conflict going on. You feel a certain way, you know this is not what it is, but you don't know how to change it. So instead of trying to deal with the things going on inside of myself, I found something to suppress these things coming up even more, and that was alcohol. So a lot of times when we're not here doing what we're supposed to be doing, even if you you didn't have a very hard upbringing, you get to a point in your life where something seems like it's missing and you don't know what it is or how to find it. So instead of dealing with those uncomfortable feelings, because I believe you know the universe, God, whatever you believe the higher power is, it's gonna make you feel uncomfortable until you look in the right direction and start doing what you came here to do. So you have these instances of people having everything they ever wanted, all the boxes are checked off in their life and they get to a point. And it's usually around, I, most of my experiences talking to people and working with people, it's in the, the mid to late thirties when people go, is this it? Is this all there is? I've checked off every box and now I still feel the same way, what is it? You see this when you, uh, uh, someone in sports wins a Super Bowl and they think after the Super Bowl, they're going to be happy and they're not. You see this with people that want their first million dollars and when they get it, they think they're going to be happy and they're not. You see this with people that think they can get the perfect partner and their life is going to be happy and fulfilled and it's not. It's always an inside job, right? So if you're not doing what you came here to do, regardless if you have an addiction problem or whatever, you're going to feel this uneasiness. And this, this is how addictions, I really believe addictions are created. It's created from trauma and things that you haven't dealt with that feel uncomfortable. So what happened was that feeling that I didn't like, those thoughts that were coming to me that I didn't like, I found my best friend in alcohol. So most people start drinking or doing you know, social drugs just to go out and party or whatever, but then they realize that these drugs, whatever it is, suppresses those lower parts of themselves, the parts that they don't wanna feel, the parts that they don't wanna deal with. So it's like a magic pill almost. So when I drank, all those uneasy feelings that I didn't wanna feel, all those things that I didn't wanna heal, I just pushed them down more and more and more. But it felt good at the time, I always wanted to stay in that state. 
And when you always want to stay in that state and you're using a drug, which alcohol is a drug, to stay in that state, you're going to have to pay on the back end. You, it's not for free. It's not the magic pill. It's not your best friend. It's the friend that if you do something for them, they're going to want you to do twice as much for them on the back end. That's what kind of friend it is. It destroys relationships. It destroys your body. It destroys you on every level, physically, mental, mentally, and spiritually. But at the time, it was worth it enough for me to not have to deal with what was going on inside of me until that day when I woke up and I was urinating blood. Now, at this point in my life, I was in my late 30s. Um, I always had the feeling that I was just like my dad and I was going to pass away in my 30s as well. And I was just waiting for that time to happen. And this shows up. So I'm already depressed. I'm already anxious. And then like this happens and I'm like, well, this is it. At this time, I just had my sixth child. And I'm just like, what is, I, I've never really been fulfilled in life. I've gotten things that I wanted. Nothing ever worked for me. I tried material things. I tried organized religion. I was raised in that. I tried everything that I thought I could try. And now I'm still here and I'm still depressed. I'm still anxious. And now I have this on top of all of it. Like what, what's next? Like this is the end for me. So I had to make a decision at that time. And it was only two decisions that I had a choice of. Two options. One was I had to stop drinking for sure. So I had to let go of my best friend or I had to die because of my best friend. So am I gonna maintain this relationship or am I gonna do something different? Cause what I'm doing right now is not working. So I had to check in or check out basically when it came down to it. And I didn't think I had a problem. Most people that have an addiction problem don't think they have a problem until the problem manifests itself in some way. They lose their family, they lose their job, they lose their health. Now they realize they have a problem. Well, this is when I realized I had a problem. But I didn't realize I was addicted. So I didn't stop right away. I took a couple of weeks off, came back, same thing happened for months. And then I got to that point after a party one night, I was like, this is it. I mean, I'm really going to be out of here if I don't do something different. So I stopped. One day, from one day to the next, I just stopped. I said, I can't do this anymore. And I'm just going to force this stop and, and try to just try to be sober. But just being sober is not finding out what you came here to do. Being sober is just part of it. Because when you're addicted or you're doing, uh, having addictive behavior or you're, you're on drugs of any type, you're just numbing things. So you really have to experience things when you're sober. And that's the hard part. And that's why people relapse all the time, because you have to feel these things without help. I've been suppressing at this point for 20 years, at least 20 plus years. So now everything, like I said, you have to pay on the back end. So everything is gonna be paid for eventually. Nothing's for free. So the first year was real tough and I was still smoking cigarettes. I did that too. Um, I think before the first year ended, I realized that I had to do something else. I never went to a class. I never went to a meeting, you know, 
Um, the ego was still working. I can do this on my own type of thing. And meditation crossed my mind. And when meditation crossed my mind, I had to look it up because I had no idea, no clue what that was. I knew it. I had a clue what it was. I didn't know I have a clue of how to do it. So I looked it up and I just basically started sitting down every day. And it became a regular part of my day. Every day, religiously, I was sitting down, just being aware of my thoughts, um, being okay with what came up, you know, connecting to my breath, relaxing, being in a relaxing state. And what that did was it made my days a little better. It's like taking a shower can make your day better. It was that type of make your day better, right? So before you leave the house, if you didn't take a shower, you you would feel a certain way. You'd feel different if you took a shower and it, then if you didn't take a shower. So it was that type of feeling. Like I felt better when I meditated before I started my day. And people don't understand, you can do one thing every day that can make your entire life better. One thing, one thing. Life is nothing but moment to moment. So you can do one thing in your 24 hour day to make your day better. And if it makes your day better, it's gonna make your week better, your month, your year, and your life. So one thing that makes your day better, it's gonna make your life better, period. So this was making my days better. So eventually, so going down the line is making my life better because every day my day is better because of it. But I didn't know it was gonna transform my entire life. So backtracking, going back a little bit, when I said the program, the program was starting to unravel. All the beliefs that I thought were true, I started to realize they weren't true. I started to look at life with a different set of eyeballs. I started my beliefs, the whole belief system started to crumble. And what happens is when your belief system zeroes out, when it gets to a zero state, when you let all the old things that you thought you were go, this new one starts to get created. And the new one doesn't have limits. And the new one has love. And the new one has purpose. And the new one knows exactly who they are and what they're here to do. So I started to create that. And it wasn't overnight. I kept meditating, kept meditating. I, kept, I even, so it, it changed my life so much. I became a meditation instructor. I had to go, I had to go deeper into it. Like there's so many different kinds, but it's always, the basis of it is always the same. It's really about connecting and getting still, getting still, getting out of your head and just being aware, being conscious of being unconscious, I like to say. Right. As soon as you know that you're somewhere else and you're not in this present moment, that's being conscious. But most of us walk through life unconscious all day. We are never present ever. If you're here, you want to be there. If you're there, you want to be here. If you're in line, you're somewhere else. Wherever you go, you're somewhere else. So what you're doing is you're either projecting. Right. That's in the future. Anxiety or you're going in the past, being depressed about or regretting something from the past. And you're never in the only time that exists is now. Everything you've ever done in your life happened now. Every thought, now. Every action, every experience, now. So why do we avoid now so much? 
why do we, why are we always somewhere else? Because when you get now, and this is why a lot of people don't like to meditate, when you get now, things will come up and you will have to experience them and feel them. And a lot of times it's something that you don't want to experience or feel. So we are always busy. We're always out of the now moment because we don't want to deal with whatever we need to deal with. The truth of the matter is when you finally deal with these things that you've been avoiding your whole life, then you start to be able to heal and let them go. They're going to stick around until you deal with them. They're not going anywhere. Everything that you don't want to deal with is still there. And it's going to remain there for the rest of your life until you deal with it. Was it Carl Jung? He said, what you resist persists. Yes. Right? If you don't deal with it, it's not going anywhere. And another one I like is wherever you go, there you are. So a lot of people like to change locations, change partners, change jobs, change this, change that, thinking it's something outside of them that's bringing them this experience. When everything that's bringing them experience is within them themselves. Everything, your whole life is created internally and it's expressed externally. So if you are in a beautiful place on the inside, you're going to have a beautiful experience on the outside. And I'm not saying you're not going to have hard times. I'm not saying you're going to have challenges. I'm not saying all that. I'm just saying your world's going to look different and it's, it's going to look different to you on the outside when you clean up and heal on the inside. Our experiences are, we attract our experiences by what we're giving off. So have you ever got up in the morning and you had a really hard day and you just irritated and then you get out into the world and it seems like everything else is irritating you as well? Yes. Right? So you stub your toe, you're mad, you jump in the car, it's raining, you get a flat tire, you get stuck in traffic, you get to work people jump on your case. It's like, this is the energy that we are attracting. We have to understand that. So a big thing as far as meditation goes is it brought me to a place of self-love for one, which is huge because if you can't really love yourself, you can't properly love anyone else. But it got me to a place of taking responsibility for my life. It's easy to blame circumstances, people, situations for how your life's looking or how it's turning out. That's the easy thing to do. I don't care how you were raised, you can always blame something or someone on your hard times. I don't care if you had a silver spoon in your mouth, you can say, well, my dad didn't show me enough love. This is why I treat people the way I treat people. This is why I'm having these experiences, whatever. All of it's, it's not, a, it's not a, there's no good excuse. There's people that have been raised in serious, serious traumatic situations and are nothing but a, a shining bright light full of love. How did that happen? Because they connected to who they really are, not the story that was created for them. Like how did Nelson Mandela do 27 years in prison for nothing and come out with a smile? He didn't blame anybody. He was in there connecting to something higher than himself in his conscious mind. There's something beyond our stories that is so much more powerful than we are. And it's so much more the unconditional love that's there. 
That's what we got to connect to. And this is what I started to connect to with my meditation. So I started to look at people that I would formerly judge and I started to understand them. I started to go, hmm, I wonder what happened to them. Why are they hurting so much? Why are they in so much pain? How can I help them? What can I, what can I do? I started to look at the alcoholics like that that are on the street. I thought I was better than an alcoholic because I wasn't on the street and I wasn't homeless and I wasn't, you know, drinking out of a brown bag, but I was no better. I started looking at drug addicts. I used to look at drug addicts like, well, at least I'm not a drug addict. I might drink a little bit, but at least I'm not a drug addict. I'm no better. And I used to look at people that were very intelligent, geniuses, and go, wow, they're geniuses. And now I look at them and I go, they ain't no better. There's no one better or worse than you are. And all the information that anybody else has as far as intelligence goes is available to you. And I'm not talking about in a textbook. This is how books are recreated. It's from divine intelligence. It's, it, it, they come from something that hasn't been created anymore. Intelligence is creation and that comes from something higher. This within you, not outside of you. It just comes through you. This is how books are created. This is how my book was. I wasn't trying to be an author. I never even thought about it. Right? Real intelligence is creating something that nobody else has created. Real intelligence is creating, for example, a book. Because that no one else has done it. We always equate intelligence to academics. Those are two different things. If you got a good memory, you can read something and spit it back out. You can look at something and put it back on paper. That just means you have a good memory. But can you create something that nobody else has created? Can you go there and get that information? How did Albert Einstein get that information? That information was there, not in books but he elevated himself to a place of receptivity where he can get this information and then put it in books. There's a big difference between academics and intelligence. Intelligence is creation. So I understood that these super genius smart people, it's in me, it's in you, is in every human being on the planet. We just have to access that. And we can't access it through reading another book. We can only access it from having our own personal experience with it and connecting to it there. No book is gonna make you a genius. No genius is ever a genius because he read a book. A genius is a genius because he elevated himself to a level and was receptive to new information that, that was there, but not there for everybody else. I really believe when we elevate our consciousness, because you know, all these geniuses are high conscious people. When we elevate our consciousness, we have access to information that's not on a regular human level. Right. We receive information that just is there, but you got to get up there to do it. So the perfect example there's people that came into some type of 
theories or um, I don't even know how to, to say it, information that no one else had at the same time, but on different parts of the world. How did that happen? They didn't know each other. It has never been published. The information was available and they accessed it at the same time from the same place, but in different parts of the world. Like that information is there. Information is there. We just have to go up and get it. We cannot get it on a normal, low vibrational human level. We have to elevate ourselves in order to get it. In my book, I talk about living in the basement. So the analogy is basement, first floor, second floor, third floor, fourth floor. So this is consciousness. So when you are in the basement, like I said earlier, the law of attraction, you're so low as far as your frequency, you attract everything that matches that. And this is why you don't have someone that's trying to help the hood and heal the hood. There's someone that's trying to be the hood, hanging out with each other. It doesn't happen. They're on different frequencies. So when you're down in this place, like I was, you're going to attract people just like you on your same vibe. It's going to be dysfunctional relationships. It's going to be drugs. It's going to be alcohol. It's going to be violence. All these things are going to be there for you. You're not going to be down there and say, I want a healthy, happy relationship. It doesn't matter what you want. And this is what people don't understand. Everybody wants the best for themselves, but you got to be the best self to, to get the best for yourself. You have to be what you want. And I know it's cliche when people say, be the change that you want. No, you literally have to be that. You can't say, I want the world to be full of peace and you won't have no peace in your life. You have to be that. You want a good relationship? Well, you got to be a good partner. You got to be what you want. People don't understand that. It's, there's a lot of talking going on and not enough being going on. You got to be that. And this is how easily that people that are not being truthful with themselves and other people get exposed. Because they're going to get caught somewhere with all these cameras doing something that doesn't fit their narrative. It doesn't align with the story they're giving or telling. So we want to be a, have a healthy relationship. We got to be that healthy. We want love in our life. We got to be that love that we want. We want peace. We got to be that peace. If you're around here angry and, and we want peace in your life, well, you're going to attract that angry. If you're around here fearful, you're going to attract that fear, whatever that is. So we really need to focus on being that. So the book, I'm going to tell you how the book came, okay? I was very insecure growing up, and I was so insecure, I almost flung the class because I didn't want to read in front of the class. And this was in high school. She said, if you don't read this in front of the class, that's 50% of your grade. And you know your grade's not that good. That means you're going to flunk because I was never a good student, right? Because we all know as far as children goes, the stimuli that's given to a child or what they see or what they experience a lot of times determines on their, their academic performance. If you're not read to, if you, all you see is dysfunction and you're not held accountable to do what you're supposed to, you know, what you're supposed to do, I mean, usually you're not going to be a good student. So I was like, if I got a B, that was the celebration for me. So she said, if you don't read this, you're going to you're going to fail my class. 
So I got up there and did it. I was the most nervous I've ever been in my entire life. I mean, my face was shaking. I was just like, never again. And from that point on, I said, never again. I'm not going to do it. I don't care. Even to the point where if I had to stand up and say my name, like if you're in a room and someone says, stand up and say your name, it was terrifying for me. So I got to a point in my life where I started to, like I said earlier, love myself and that type of thing. And I went to make a video on Facebook about my addiction, about being sober. And I knew that it was going to really help some people. And I was so nervous, I couldn't even sit at home. I had to walk to the park. And I did it. And after I did it, it was like this weight was lifted off of me. And someone contacted me about 30 minutes later and said, I love your energy. I want you to come to LA and speak at my house and I'll pay you. So from that time in high school, I think it was about 1986, till, I don't know, six years ago, maybe, I never spoke in front of anybody at all, ever. So now I'm getting this offer to go down in front of a bunch of strangers at a home and get paid to speak. So I said yes immediately because I knew this is what was supposed to happen. Because I had to step through fear that first time for that, that video and I knew I had to do it again. So before I can talk myself out of it, I said yes. So I went down there and did that, of course. I was, I was nervous, but she happened to be the wife of the lead singer from the band War. You know War, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah, so that was her husband. So he was there, she was there, and she's a raw vegan chef. And I sat in, the, I stood up in the pool, rolled up my pants and spoke for the first time. But after that happened, then doors just started to open. Like I had to step through that and have that experience because this was part of what I do. That's why we're talking right now because of that day that I went to the park and talked about my addiction. And then everything just started falling into place after that because we, I had to step through that, that illusionary fear. So from that point, from doing my speaking stuff, I'm pretty comfortable doing it pretty comfortable being interviewed and pretty comfortable standing in front of people. But one day I was watching a video and um, I said, what are you giving your audience when you speak to them? And I thought about it. I love, of course, my energy, my story, my voice, my opinion, of course, all this stuff I'm talking about, this is my opinion, this is my perspective, this is my subjective truth. But what are they taking away? A lot of times when we talk to people, there's people that's going to watch this and say, oh, that was great. And then forget about it 10 minutes later. What am I giving to them? A year prior to this, I went to go do a speaking engagement and I wrote down 10 things and I didn't use them. I never use anything. I thought I was going to use them this time, but I was like, nope, I'm just going to talk. I don't need to, I don't need to do any type of structural thing when it comes to my speaking. I speak from my heart and whatever comes through, comes through. So I didn't speak on it. But then when I watched this video, it hit me. I had to go search for these 10 things. I said, I'm gonna take these 10 things and I'm gonna break them down and I'm gonna talk about them and then show you how to live from this, these, these places, these, these principles. I'm gonna show you how to live from these principles and I'm gonna make a book out of it. And that's how the idea first happened. 
So I went back and I found these 10 things and I wrote a little short piece on each one, a very short, like a sentence or two. So that was like the little foundation. I'm like, okay, okay, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna write this book. And then I just started writing and I just expanded on each one. And then I said, I'm gonna add some quotes in there. And I put quotes by different people, different walks of life in front of each principle that went along with it. And then on the back end, I gave you steps on how to live from this place. Like gratitude, how to have more gratitude in your life. I talked about mindset, how to have a, a better mindset, a constructive mindset, right? I talked about fear, of course. I talked about love, of course. I talked about um, gratitude. Without gratitude, life is going to be ugly. If you don't appreciate anything, you're going to have an ugly life. You can't enjoy anything because you don't, you're lacking gratitude. So I talked about that. I talked about being of service because that's what we're here for. We're here to serve each other. When you understand that everybody's interconnected and everybody comes from the same source, serving someone else is serving yourself. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's one process. Giving and receiving is one thing. So I talked about being of service, being present, because that's the only time we have is this moment. Life is just moments strung together. That's, and, but, and then I talk about um, uh, mindfulness meditation, and I give you examples on how to do that. And then I wrap it all up with faith at the end, because without faith, none of it's going to work. If you don't believe at the deepest level and trust, then none of it matters. You have to trust the process. You have to trust these things that you have in your life that's going to work out for the better for you without trust there's nothing and it's just trusting what's going on in your life at this time faith is not about saying something's going to happen but just trusting it's happening happening the way it's supposed to happen that's having faith not worrying about the outcome and letting it be and i think that's super important because a lot of people because they don't get what they want, they lose faith. But I didn't want to be peeing blood, but in the long run, it was the best thing that ever happened to me because it changed my life for the better. That's faith. I didn't have that back then. I had victimization, victimhood. But now I realized looking back that this was the best thing that happened to me. I wouldn't be here at all talking to you sober for almost 14, it's going on 14 years now, never been to a class, healed myself, healed my body, healed my mind in a healthy relationship doing what I'm doing. If that didn't happen to me, I would still be doing the same thing, just without purpose, just, or thinking I was, didn't have a purpose, but just doing the same, having the same behaviors, the same beliefs, the same motives, like I always thought that getting something else was gonna bring this feeling to me and it never did. The goalpost is always gonna move. There's nothing outside of you that can bring you peace. There's nothing outside of you that can bring you anything that you want. And when you look externally for these things, it's always gonna be just out of reach. It's always gonna move on you. And this is why I tell people when I coach people, especially in personal training, as far as the physical body goes. 
If you don't accept yourself now, you're never going to accept yourself. Because you're always going to see something that needs improvement. And you're never going to be satisfied with your body. Ever. Every time you get to a place, oh, if I get here, I'll be good. And you get there, it's like, oh, well, maybe I can just make my arms a little bit bigger or, you know, a little bit less on my waistline. But if you love the process, if you love yourself through every step, it doesn't matter how far you go or don't go, you're still going to be happy with where you are. There's people that make so much progress physically and still are just as unhappy as they were when they started. Because this, they're, in their mind, they're not where they should be. You're always where you should be. That's why you're there. Now, what you do with it is up to you, right? I was supposed to be everywhere I was supposed to be. And at that point, I have free will whether I want to make a change or not. But I was in that situation on purpose. So to love and accept yourself throughout the process is the only way that you're going to love and accept yourself when you get to, when you set goals and make and, and attain those goals. That's why when people go, okay, I get to here and I'm good. They're not happy because they didn't accept the process. They wanna get from A to B without experiencing and loving the in-between. And the B, the end, the end game is not gonna bring you that happiness. It's, it's gonna be on to something else, onto a new toy, onto a new business adventure, onto something else, because you, whatever that was you were looking for, it didn't bring it. So of course, it gotta be something else outside of yourself. And that's why a lot of times the people with very little possessions have so much joy and peace in their life because they understand it's not about that. And I'm not saying things are bad, but things are things at the same time, right? When people are at the end of their life, they don't care about a car. They don't care about a house. They don't care about none of that. None of it. They don't care about a purse, shoes, clothes, care about anything. But we got to get to a point where we understand that now. Let's not waste our life now. Let's enjoy it now. Let's love now. Let's care now. Let's, let's, let's do what we came here to do now. Why wait and have regrets at the end of your life? What are you doing right now? Are you happy now? Do you have peace now? Do you understand what's important right now? You know who you are right now. If you don't know who you are, how do you know where you're going? If you don't know who you are, how do you know what you even like? I have this analogy about not knowing who you are. I put a video on my Facebook from another interview, but it kind of goes like this. And um, I started out with the great grandparents because you want to go back a little, a little ways in time. And somehow your great grandparents were told they were something that they're not. And they believed it. And then they had kids, which is your grandparents. And they passed down that story to them, right? They were told that they were bicycles, but they're really jets. That's the analogy I like to use. And then you have the grandparents and then down to your parents. So now this story is getting passed down the line. And with each telling of the story, it becomes more true to the next generation. 
It's embedded. It's almost like it's in their DNA. Now you show up. You're looking at everybody down the line, all the way to your great grandparents, and you're like, oh, I'm a bicycle. That's what I am. You have no clue who you are. Not anybody's fault, but everybody's been given the same story. So you go around and you do what bicycles do. Go off little jumps, you pedal. And then someone says, well, why don't you fly? He's like, I can't fly. I'm a bicycle. Not knowing that you can fly. You just don't know it. You don't know who you are and you don't know what you're capable of. You've never given it a second thought because you're so in the program, you're so in the story that you don't even question your own identity, what you can do and what you can't. You're staying in your lane, you're living small. Because three generations down the line, the story has been told and you just believe it by default because this is what was told to you, who you are and what you can do, what you're capable of. Now think about this. If you were born in a certain ethnic group and a certain in poverty and generations down the line, it was poverty too and low education. And just think of the stories and the limitations that are passed down to you when it gets to you and what you think you can do and who you are. Just in society, the way society labels people, the way society treats different groups of people, including women. I mean, when did women, were they able to vote? Right. So even as a woman born in a certain time period, you're like, well, I can't do these things, you know, because society has told you you can't. Whoever's running the show said you cannot do things. You're not capable. You're not intelligent enough. This is not a woman's place. This is not a woman's job. And most women will believe that. But then you have women like Rosa Parks. You have women that go, what are you talking about? I know who I am, so I know what I can do. And this story is not true. So until you realize the story about yourself is not true, you're gonna be limited to that story, whatever limitations come with that story. That's when you say, I can't, when there's no such thing. That's when you live small. That's when you, you live in a bubble of comfort and you don't wanna step out aside of that because you're fearful of what might happen. You might fail. You might get reprimanded because you're not acting like a lady. Whatever the case may be, we just stick to the script. And the script is created by you. And this is what you have to understand. You can either go ahead and roll with the script that you were given, or you can create or rewrite your story. And that's what it's all about because your story is unique to you. Only you know what you're supposed to be doing here. Not your parents, not your grandparents, not your teachers, nobody. There's something within you that knows already. And when you start to align with you, then you know because it feels different. There's no regret. You're not working at a job that you hate. Not saying you don't, you're not gonna have challenges, but you're gonna know what you're doing is what you're supposed to be doing because it feels different. You're gonna be going with the flow instead of against the flow. You're not, even though there might be challenges with whatever you're doing, it's gonna be worth every minute of it. 
It's not gonna be something that's challenging that you regret. It's gonna be something that you know is for you. And if you don't have that, that means you're not doing what you came here to do. Life is not about struggling and making money somehow. And that's such a terrible story they give the students. They talk about uh, occupations that make the most, that are in the most demand. But when you get them, you go to 10 years of school and you get it and you hate it. It's not about that. If you do something that you love and you're passionate about and you have a certain skill level at, money's not going to be an option. I mean, money's not, it's going not, it's not going to be, you're going to get money is what I'm saying. The lack of money is not going to be a problem. If you do something, you have to have a certain skill level if you're doing something. But if you're passionate about it, you're going to make money. So for instance, say you, you love football, that's your passion, just for an example. But you can't play football. Guess what? You can be a coach. You can have something to do with football. You don't always have to do the exact thing that you love. You can be a part of doing what you love, right? You like movies, but you can't act what you can write, right? You can be a part of whatever it is. So don't ever say, well, you know, I can't do this. I'm slow. I can't run track. Well, you can be a track coach. You can be a part of that thing that you love. And this is about just stepping into your own. There's too many people, even older people, people think that just because you have age under your belt that you know what's up. And that is not, that's so far from the truth, right? They're so far from the truth. Age doesn't bring wisdom. Wisdom brings wisdom. You have little kids that are so much wiser than grownups, but they're put in their place because they're children. This is crazy. It's crazy to me now. But back in the day, look, you can, a 10 year old can't tell me nothing. But now when a child speaks because they are more connected to the creator, I listen. When those little kids speak, I listen. They have a different type of energy. They know things that we don't know because they're not all the way conformed. The story is not all the way set in at a certain age. And they can be real honest with you and they say some amazing things if you listen. They'll tell you what they want to do if, if you listen. You'll listen. If you listen to a child, they'll tell you what they want to do with their, with their lives. But what we, what, we, we, what we do a lot of times is we hear that, for one, because our limited thinking, we say, you can't do that. Like if a kid says, I want to do this. And you're like, uh, yeah, you ain't even smart enough for that. No, try something else, Billy. Right? We automatically shut them down. Oh, I want to be an artist. Nah, that, money, that job don't make no money. Do this, Billy. We are trying to make them like we are. Trying to keep them safe. Trying to keep them small unintentionally, I might add, but we are. If, if let's say Elon Musk said, you know, when he was a kid, he's like, oh, I'm, I'm gonna make an electric car and it's gonna be amazing. I'm gonna make it just like this. What if someone said, no, no, you're not. You're not gonna do that and just shut it down. Those people that invent these amazing things, they didn't have the I can't gene or it's not possible, Gene. Whoever they were around said, yes, you can. And they knew it. The only limits we have are the limits we put on ourselves. So if I wanna be the 
the best, if I want to be the most impactful speaker on the planet, I can be that. If I want to make incredible amount of change on the planet, I can do that. If I believe that. And everything I do now, it's not for me. It's for we. And I think that's a huge factor when you're doing something. I think whatever we do as a purpose, that is our purpose, that it has to involve directly or indirectly making the world a better place. And it could be about making money, but it could be about making money to open up a health and wellness center. It could be making money to open up pro programs for low-income people, making money to put towards research or something to make the planet better. It's not gonna be making money just to make money. That's not your purpose. It's not gonna be making money so you can have eight Lamborghinis. That's not it, right? So money is just a tool and it's neutral. It can be used for good and obviously it can be used for bad. So if your purpose is to be a billionaire, well, that's not your purpose. Um, I like to use the example of Kaepernick, Colin Kaepernick. So he's a football player. That was his job, but that wasn't his purpose. There's a difference. They can be the same, but a lot of times they're not the same. So he's gonna be remembered far more, not by from football, but for social issues. So 100 years from now, they won't even probably mention football. Football, you're, you're here, you're gone. That's it. It's not three years, I think, is the average football player. You don't ever make the history books if you're a football player. He's going to make the history books because football wasn't his purpose. It was just his job. And I, I just give that example because it's just like he's known so much more from not playing football. Like there's people that know him now that they would, never would have known him if he played football, ever. Like he's worldwide, people know who this dude is. What other football players known worldwide? Except for maybe like someone infamous like OJ, right? You have to do something real crazy to be known worldwide as an athlete. But yeah, it's really about finding, finding yourself, like knowing yourself. And that's what this whole journey was. And everything that I experienced, I had to experience. And I'm not saying if you're in a bad situation to stay in it, but everything I needed to experience, I had to experience because I can now connect with people that have gone through the same things. I can connect people that used to be, you know, in the drug world, in, in, in addiction world, in, the, in, in poverty, people that came up a little bit rougher that other people don't really understand them. If I was, would have came up different, they would be like, well, what's your experience on this? Well, I really don't have any experience on it. No, I've been there. I've been in the dark places. I've been in the painful places. I've been in the basement. I used to live there for a long time. So I have a different understanding with different types of people. I believe that I can relate to almost everybody on the planet. 
just due to my experiences and the, the vast uh, different experiences that I had. Like I, I could connect with so many people on so many levels. And I think I needed to, to experience all that so I can relate to people. And now that I'm a coach, it's like, if you don't have a lot of life experiences, how can you really be a, a, a coach that helps people out of these tough situations if you've never experienced it yourself? So I think that's just a, a, a you can, but I'm saying it for me, I, I believe that it's important that I had these experiences as well so I can help other people to get through them and to heal from them. Because the, at the end of the day, it's really about healing. It's about healing and, and, and self-realization. Yes, I agree. Uh, for somebody who, like myself, who's written three memoirs, uh, definitely those trials and specifically trial by fire uh, help shape you to be a more powerful uh, internally person that can draw in uh, through that experience to help others um, like yourself, you know, to them. So, yeah, I mean, it's so interesting that a lot of people that are coming to me now are, are ex street dudes. So, and these are the, exactly the people. I want to help everybody, but this is like, like my niche, right? This is, right. these are exactly the people that I can feel them. I can relate to them. And when they come and say, well, you know, these certain things are just overwhelming. I'm like, I've been there. I said, I got you. I understand. They're not going to take advice from just anybody right? They're not going to do it. If someone doesn't look like them, sound like them, and been through some of the same similar experiences of them, they're going to be like, you don't, you don't know what I'm going through. But I could actually say, yeah, I do know what you're going through. I'm, I'm right there with you. I've been there, right? I've, I've had the addiction problem. I sold the drugs. I've been violent. You know, I never went to prison, luckily. And that was just crazy. I, I got into those stories. How many times I dodged a bullet on that? You wouldn't even believe it. But I thought at the time, not going to prison because everybody I knew was going to prison. I thought I was the lucky one, but really I was in prison in my mind anyways. I was already in prison and in my mind and my body. Um, I think if I would have went to prison, at least for, you know, for a while, I could have cleaned up my body a little bit and stopped, you know, took a break from drinking the alcohol. So it might have almost been a, a, a something I could have made that start of that transformation there because I had a break from the drinking and I probably would have went inside there too, you know, as far as going, doing that inner work and seeing what's there. But I always thought I was lucky because I escaped prison, but I was still locked up. I was just on the outside. Right. Right. Okay. That's quite the powerful um, inspiring life story, <laughs> Monk, I'll tell you, I'm, I'm not surprised that people gravitate to you to seek out uh, your experience. I know one time somebody had asked me, 
who would you rather go to? Somebody on who's studied like 20 years, has read every single book on that matter, or go to somebody who's actually experienced. So the, the example was scuba diving. So do you wanna be trained by somebody who's never been in the water, who's read every single article on scuba diving, or would you rather go to the person who's maybe had a year experience scuba diving, who's been in the water, been in various types of scuba diving? Well, naturally you want somebody who's been there, right? <laughs> I knew exactly where you were going when you started. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's what I'm saying. Book, books is not intelligence. That's what I'm right. saying. That's not, in, back in the day when they didn't have medical school and all these things, there was people that were doing medical procedures already. Like they were really healing people. They were really operating on people before all this all, ever happened. Yeah. So just like in the medical field, yeah, of course, it, things advance and you have different things that you learn during medical school, but I don't want the guy that's going to do his first operation. I don't want that guy or girl. I want someone that's been doing that same operation for 10, 20 years. That's the person I want. Right. And it's really having that life experience is is the best teacher. Mm -hmm. It's the best teacher. You can't look, I can't, I can only explain something so much if you have to experience that. I can tell you what it feels like to go skydiving, right. but unless you go skydiving, you ain't never going to have that experience. Yeah. Right? Exactly. We have to live these things. Not talking about the bad things, but the things that we have lived, you can't really I, relate to somebody if they haven't had the similar type of experience because they haven't felt that. So if someone comes and says, you know, I'm really struggling with this and I haven't been there, I'm like, well... I don't know what to tell you. I mean, I hear you, but I don't know. I don't feel you. Right. Right. So everything that we experienced prior to starting the awakening process, and I believe we're always waking up more, right? We're always, or we're stagnant, right? We're always waking up more. We're always coming into new truths about ourselves in the world. But the more you wake up, the more, I would say, the more tools you have in your toolbox. Right. Because your reality is always changing and expanding. So as I keep continue to do my practice, the more I become aware, the better I can serve and help other people. Right. When I stop doing what I'm doing, I become stagnant and there I am. That's right. Right? Stagnation is death. Exactly. I always want to practice things every day where it expands us even more. And I'm not against book reading. It might have sounded like that at first, but I read all the time. I read every day. My new person reads every day. My second person reads every day because I do that. I understand that. Right. And I don't do it because I think I need to. I do it because I want to learn more. And most of these books that I read, I've had those experiences that are in them books already. It's almost like confirmation when I read now. Right. Right. I just I just got through reading the uh, Carl Jung book. It was about that thick. People look at me like, what are you reading? It's like I'm so interested in psychology and human behavior and how we create these behavioral patterns. Right. And where it comes from, where it comes from. 
And it doesn't matter if it's a science-based book, a spirituality book, they're starting to merge now. They're talking about the same thing in different language. So it used to be science, spirituality. They're starting to come together because they realize what they're saying is the same thing in different, ter- in different language. That's all they're saying. Metaphysics now, you know what I'm saying? It's not just about physics, metaphysics. It's all coming together. It's all one thing. So that's the amazing part. I even got read this book. It's called Spirit Science. Hmm. It's an amazing book. And it just it makes so much sense when you read these type of things because you already, well, in my case, I'm already thinking it's like this. And then you read a book and like, they explained it better. But yeah, it's the yeah. same, <laughs> right? It's, right. A, it's the same thing. We just, these spiritual beings having this human experience trying to remember who we are. It's almost like a twisted game. You come here, they tell you who you're not. Then you try to figure out who you are. Yeah. But you do that. that, It really does feel like, like, ooh, you got me good. That threw me off. That took me years to figure that was a lie. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And then once you figure it out, you're like, now how can I help other people to? Yeah. Uh, How to to win the game. Exactly. How to win the game. That's Mm -hmm. it. And winning the game is knowing who you are and knowing that you and everybody else are one thing in this game, mm-hmm. right? The planet, the animals, the trees, we are all this one thing. I say earth is like one cell. And we think we're, we think, we think we're separate, but we're one cell inside of a big organism, yeah. right? One tiny speck inside this big, huge organism. That, and- that's, that's a possibility because I think, I stumble across some sort of conversation that under like the atomic microscope, we're just 5% solid. Yeah, we're, we're, we're space. Yeah, and the rest of it's space. So, yeah. That's what <laughs> I'm probably right about that one. Right? right? That's what I'm saying. We, we're all in the, we're like, we're in the simulation. Yeah. We think, we think all this stuff is like, we're the, center of the universe and we're all this what if we're just one little speck inside something that's so much bigger yeah and we're all fighting with we're all fighting with each other and arguing and we're just this one cell inside this bigger organism yeah when are we gonna realize that we're just one thing yeah that's when that's when the game changes when we realize we're one thing this the forms we came in is is just superficial yes doesn't matter how we came in if it came in with no legs, one leg, one arm, black, brown, yellow, male, female, it doesn't matter. Yes. Still that one thing. So when we, we think certain ways about our brothers and sisters, it's really a reflection on how we feel about ourselves. I don't have nothing but love for everybody on this planet. I don't have nothing but love for every being on this planet, uh, uh, human or otherwise. That's how I roll. I understand that, that nature is a huge part of it. And the reason why we're suffering is because we allow nature to suffer. And what comes around goes around. We have to understand if any beings on this planet suffer, we all suffer. People don't understand that. How we treat, I forget who said that. A man is judged by how he treats it's something about how he treats 
animals or people that or people that cannot do anything for it. Right. Right. So when you can treat another being that has can bring you nothing in your life, when you treat them with compassion and love and kindness, that's a true judge of your character. And people that treat other beings like that, I believe they understand. And I'm not just talking about, I'm not even separating humans from animals because some people, they know about animals, but they still hate other human beings. I'm talking about knowing that this is all one thing. I'm talking about the suffering is all connected. You cannot isolate suffering. When it comes to animals, I became a vegan because through my connection through meditation, tearing down the boxes that I used to put other beings in, right? These are for this, these are for this. Dogs are for petting, pigs are for eating. It's the same thing. This was my program. Cats are for petting, chickens are for eating. Who told me that? How did I come to that realization? Someone fed it to me. Someone told me that's what, the way it was supposed to go. In China, dogs are okay to eat. We throw a fit, right? This is program. We throw the biggest fit when China has their dog Yulin Festival. But Hindu cows are sacred, but we have no problem eating their sacred animal and killing their sacred animal by the millions. You see the hypocrisy? It's everybody's subjective story that is so true to them. If it doesn't align with your story, then you have a problem with it. So we can eat the sacred cow. We don't have no problem with it because that's our story. But if you do something to the dog, we got a problem with it. If you do something to black people, that's okay because we believe a certain way about black people or brown people or yellow people or white people. We have to understand that it's all one thing. So when we treat the planet the way we treat the planet, we treat beings on the planet a certain way, we're going to have to pay for it. And we're paying for it now with the deforest, how do you say it? Deforesting, yeah, deforestation. Yes. Yeah, there you go, station. With <laughs> that, right, with all the resources we use to, to, to raise these billions of animals that we eat every year, the methane gas, gas produced by these animals that is messing up the, the uh, environment. And then the suffering and the viruses and everything else created from these unhealthy, unclean environments. Think about the, the bird flu, mad cow disease. What do all these viruses have to do? What, what, do, what do they all have in common? They have animals. Yeah. They're animals in the way they're treated in the environment that they are slaughtered in, in the feces and everything that gets mixed in and the E. coli and everything else, it's all from the treatment of animals. The water we waste. So here you go. You, the animals are born, forced, raped, impregnated. They live a horrible life. Then they're killed. And the energetic imprint on these animals we take in as well, people don't understand that either. They're killed, we eat them and they slowly kill us on the planet. Who's paying for it in the end? We are. Mm -hmm. We're paying for it. You think it, we're not paying for it, we are paying for it. The environment is suffering. We are suffering from the animals that we eat. Even on a, uh, uh, 
emotional health level. I know several people that stopped eating meat that stopped having anxiety attacks. We are literally what we eat, even on an energetic level, right? So you're taking this energy. Everybody understands energy when you are around somebody that has bad energy. You're putting bad energy into your body and breaking it down on a cellular level and it's running through your entire body. And you don't think that has an effect on you? When you allow violence and drug dealing and prostitution in certain neighborhoods, you don't think it's gonna get to you? When you say AIDS is a gay disease and good for them, they should die anyways, you don't think that's gonna come back to you? There's not one bit of suffering that's ever been allowed on this planet that didn't have repercussions. There's not one bit of suffering that's ever been allowed where somebody, society didn't have to pay for. If you kick a dog long enough, it's gonna bite you. There's nothing that goes unseen or unpaid for. Everything is paid for. Right. We have to understand these things. You're gonna pay for it. Yeah, we're, we're all on one planet. So. That's it. <laughs> right. We're all one thing. Yes. So when you say it's okay to allow people to, to be in situations where they suffer, that suffering is going to come back and either hit you directly or indirectly, right? You allow violence over here, that violence is not contained to just over there. Right. That violence is going to come to you one day. And, and when you don't give up your property, you might be out of here. Okay. Violence is created through poverty and poverty is created on purpose. We got to understand these things. This system is not broken. The system was created exactly how it's working. So that's why when we bring up, since we are one thing, when we elevate people that are suffering the most, it, it, it brings a different collective vibration on the planet. Right. And the selfish people that's out there that's doing the things that they're doing, they don't understand that. They don't get that part. They don't understand that these people suffering is going to mean I'm going to be suffering at some point. What do people do when they get desperate? What kind of, what kind of actions? How do they behave? Oh, that desperate situations create desperate people. Right. And what do desperate people do? They put Rob, kill, kill. Yeah, whatever, whatever they need to, right? Exactly. And what makes you think they ain't going to do it to you? Right. Now, what if that same situation, that person had resources? Didn't have to worry about food. Had a great education. You ain't got to worry about that person no more. You ain't got to worry about that person. They're, they're, they're cool. They're good. They're not, they're not put in a situation where they feel they have to do something. A great example is Trading Places. You ever seen that movie? Yes. <laughs> Such a great movie, right? Yes. So they took the one guy out of the ghetto and gave him all this support financially and everything else, right? So much, so many resources. When he gets into this place, he starts st stealing his own stuff. It's like, you ain't got to steal your own stuff. This is yours. They take the rich guy and they put him and make him, put him out on the streets. Guess what? One became the thief. The other one became successful. That is how life works. When you live from that story, you do things that that story, whatever it takes. 
in your mind to survive, whatever it takes. Right. And we, if we're put into a certain position, we're going to do whatever it takes right now. If someone took everything from you and just put you out on the street, you're going to do whatever it takes to survive. Period. And I know a lot of people think that's really a beneath them. Mm -hmm. No, it's not. It's not. So what are we doing to look out for our fellow human beings? What are we doing to look out for our beings in general? Well, we need to raise everybody up. <laughs> right. So back in the day, even when I ate meat, I couldn't kill the animal. Yeah. I wouldn't be able to do it. If someone had a cow there and they put them in them, they put them in these locks so their head can't move and they come up and slit their throats. I couldn't do that. I'd rather kill a person before I do that back in the day, right? I couldn't do that. And most people can't unless they were raised on a farm and they were conditioned to see this suffering. So if you can't do that, why are you being part of that process? It's like having someone murdered for you. If you can't do that, if you can't say honestly, well, I have no issues with that, then you have to ask yourself, why are you, why are you eating that? Because deep down inside, you know that's something's wrong with it. It's just not right. Even watching the videos are painful to watch. Imagine if you're up close and personal and you got to feel that suffering and got to see that animal in its eyes. How many people in the society can do that? But how many people eat that? There's very few that can do it. And almost everybody eats it. This is how disconnected we are. We're like robots. We're just doing what we were taught to do. We were given our religion. We were given our limits as far as what we can do as far as like uh, our color, our race, ethnicity, our gender. We were given our diet. We had no choice in that. We were given our name. And our whole belief system was given to us. Most likely our political party would usually have the same political party then as our parents. It's just all a lie. None of it's true. None of it's people like I make my own decisions. No, you don't. You make decisions from a false narrative. Right. And what's been programmed in the subconscious. That's it. You're making decisions from that place and that's not even you. Right. You believe that consciously you. No, 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 no. Everything's in the subconscious first. Right. And that's that's just programmed when you're a little young kid in your experiences. And it usually takes something big to shake, rock your world, to make you look in another direction and start questioning your own shit. That's right. Or P. In your case, right? Right, right, right. right. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, you know what I'm saying. Sometimes you just gotta get, you gotta get sh shook. Yeah, yeah. You know. Yep. It, it's it does come to that. If you're that uh, deep in unconsciousness, then yes, it sometimes it takes a a good scare to and, do that. And, mm -hmm. and I can look back now and say, I was given. 
experiences that should have woke me up and it didn't. Yeah. It had to get worse, progressively worse, mm-hmm. my experiences for it to get to that point. Like in 2004, I had went and played a pickup game out uh, at the park and completely blew my knee all the way out, right? A ACL, MCL, meniscus, all that stuff. My leg bloomed up really big. So I was on the waiting list for surgery then, and I was still, you know, doing my drinking thing. And then it's a, before a few weeks before surgery, my appendix went out and I got rushed into emergency surgery there. So I was having a hard time during this period, right? This two surgeries. And then after I had my surgery on my knee, I fell down some stairs and twisted my knee and it bloomed all the way back up. Mm. So I had all these things going on and this still, I'm like, well, maybe I should change what I'm doing, right? Maybe I should change what I'm doing. What I'm doing is not working, but I didn't get it. So I didn't go back from my knee. I just let it do whatever it did, uh, continue forward and just started back in my old patterns until that day I was telling you about when I was on vacation and that happened. But it seems like if I look back, there's so many close calls, so many things that should have been like, wake up, you know, you're going in a bad direction. You know, all your friends are going to prison, some of them getting killed. It's like, you don't understand that you are playing with fire right now. And I still didn't get it. I still did not get it. It had to be to the point where I was at my very lowest. Like there was no, there's, there was no down from this point. Yeah. And I understand when they say rock bottom, it's, it's there. And some people, I know some of them personally that are actually hospitalized due to their addiction and still still playing around with it. So you're not there yet. He has to find their bottom. (laughs) Yeah, it looks different for everybody, doesn't it? It's different for everybody. Some people uh, skin their knee and say, okay, that's rock bottom. That's it. Yeah, we're done here. I better fix it. That was my wake up call. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yep, I didn't have so many wake up calls and I was just snoozing. I was hitting the snooze button. Yep, it happens. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. it's it's just a, it's an amazing experience. And, you know, I just, I look forward to every day to making a positive impact when I go out into, this, into public, when I go out into the streets, you know, just being a, more aligned with who I am and trying to stay there. And, and even being responsible for the thoughts that I hold and the emotions that I hold. Right. You know, even being feeling like irritated. Why am I why am I feeling irritated? We have to do some investigation when we start to have these feelings because they're not coming from they're not coming from a vacuum. They're coming from somewhere. Somewhere. Right. So go down deep and like, where's this coming from? What is this all about? We never usually ask ourselves these questions. We just push it down and keep moving. You know, I'm just irritated. But the more you do that, the more it builds. Yes. And this is how you get it to a point where your partner asked you something and just irritates you so much you snap on them. It's like, well, this has been building up for about six months now. It's just now starting to express itself. And people have to understand, every time we push something down, every time we don't do investigation, every time we don't do that work on the inside, it it builds up pressure. Yeah. Sooner or later, it's going to come out. Who knows how it comes out? It's a fact now. Have you ever heard of emotion code? Mm, not really. There's a, thing, a book called Emotion Code, and they have a couple of them. I think the one I read was 2.0. But it's about storing these emotions in your body mm. and the sickness it creates. 
I believe that. I haven't I haven't been familiar with the book, but guaranteed. guaranteed. Yeah, you can, you can check it out. And different emotions store in different parts of your body. Like some yeah. store in your liver, some store in your kidneys, in your heart. It's yep. like your emotions, they get stored in your body and they all, they're going to express themselves sooner or later. So this is why stress kills. So stress is just an emotional reaction to something, whatever it is, and you're storing it. You're not processing it. You're yeah. storing it in your body and it's creating illness in your body. So we have to recognize like when we feel a certain way, do not suppress that feeling. Right. If you need to talk to somebody, if someone irrit if something irritates you, get it out. Right. Or in my case, journaling. Journaling yes. is a very big, powerful, absolutely, um, you know, decompressor, and it's in a safe place. It's in your journal, right? So, mm -hmm. uh, if you don't feel like you have an option to speak with somebody, journal it and go back and look and process those feelings a little bit at a time through your own writing. Absolutely. That's a very good point. Because a lot of people there are don't really, they're not with anybody, but they still having these feelings. Like there's no one to really talk to it about, you know, talk, talk about it with. Right. So it, it's, it's all you. It's all you and your, right. your, you and your feelings. Exactly. Exactly. That's why, um, you know, I'm a big advocate. That's how I got into writing. I mean, I've, written all my life, but really was the journals that created the books. So my whole essence of what I do, the Leap Into Your Story brand is all about taking your life experience, your emotions, your feelings, your gifts, and putting it down into writing um, to share because that information um, is going to be available long after we're all gone. <laughs> right, right, so, right. It's, like it's history. Yes. yes. Absolutely. And I, like I said, I never plan on writing a book. But when spirit says do something. Do something, you do it. You do it. <laughs> you do it. Just do it. Don't we'd like to talk ourselves out of it. Like, oh no, no, no. I can't do that. Mm -hmm. Like I told you, if I had a C average, I was good. Right? I I had no idea what I was capable of until I said yes to it. Exactly. You have no idea what you're capable of. You have no idea. When those little thoughts come and go about, maybe you should do this. They showed up on purpose, mm -hmm. right? Maybe you should write a book. I could have said, nah, nah, I ain't gonna write no book. Why would I do that? Well, people need to hear your story. I don't care who you are. You have a unique story to you and you have a unique challenges to you. But somebody's going to identify with those challenges that you got going on. Somebody's going to have the similar experiences than you have. And that person needs to hear it. Absolutely. And that's the point. If we can touch one person, you can change a whole generation. It's possible. Their kids, I mean, even on just on a, a the family structure, mm -hmm. you have your transformation. Your kids see you. They do their own individual work. They have kids. They pass down this, this new story down to their kids. 
not putting them in boxes, but just saying, be you, that story. Anything is possible, that story. You're a divine, purposeful human being, that story. Yes. There's yes. no one that's better than you, that story. You are a perfect expression of God, that story. Don't let anybody else tell you otherwise. That's the story we need to pass down to our kids. Now, go be you. Yes. Yes. I don't want to tell my youngest child she has to be anything or do anything. And what's going on is she is doing everything amazingly. Sit back, step back, and let them do their thing. Tell them, watch for cars when you cross the street. Don't touch the hot iron. But other than that, do your thing. Oh, you don't want to do this? Don't do it. No. Right? If you wanted, what, what, what excites you? What, what are you excited about? Do that. It just so happens that she's the opposite of me. She's excited about education. She's excited about learning. She's excited about knowledge. She came out the womb reading. Like she was reading at such a young age. We thought it was normal, but it wasn't. <laughs> right? Because I don't know when, when kids are supposed to read, but she was reading very young. And people were like, she's reading? And we're like, yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. She's like, she's only like three. It's like, oh, oh, that's not normal. Oh, no, no, that's not normal. So it's normal for her. So, you know, we all have our strengths and weaknesses. We all have things we're attracted to and drawn to. And that's going to be part of what we do. But so, so many times we get shut down as we start to get older. Yes. They shut us down. They shoot our dreams down. And then we just fall in line and just do what pe other people want us to do. And anytime we live for other people, we are going to be miserable. Yes. We're going to be miserable. There's no, there's no two ways about that. That's right. When you care about what other people think about what you're doing, you're going to be miserable. Right. That's when why it's important to leap into not only your story, but the right story, not somebody else's. So, yes. Right. That part. So, Monk, let's, uh, I think we've covered quite a bit of wonderful information, great insights, both to life coaching and book coaching, I think, so for you. Well, hopefully I wasn't rambling too much. You know, sometimes no. you know, I got a little bit of, uh, I started. No, you, you provided a lot of great value, some great food for thought. Uh, where can we find more about you? So my website, uh, monketernal.com. And I think I'm still working on that website, but you can still go there and get okay. the information. But I, I have all my socials on there. Uh, okay. They're on there somewhere. My wife takes care of that part of it. But monketernal.com, you can find me there. All right. Very good. Well, Monk, it's been an absolute pleasure to spend the afternoon with you and soak up all the monkisms, which ah. are fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Do you like that? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yes. So um, again, I want to thank you for joining us today, sharing your life, your wisdom, your um, book information. Again, there it is. 
fear, uh, pardon me, love over fear. <laughs> yeah, a guide to peace and purpose. And I forgot to say, you can find that on Amazon, but you can also contact me directly and I will send you out an autographed copy. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. Well, thank you so much again. And thank you for tuning into Leap Into Your Story podcast, where you discover your inner story, work through the process and meet others who've done it so you can be guided into your own journey to write your story. Thank so you so remember to visit us at leapintoyourstory.com and enjoy even more great episodes like this one. Again, while you're there, subscribe and like us via your favorite social media platform. We're looking forward to seeing you next time here on the Leap Into Your Story podcast. Thank you for tuning into the Leap Into Your Story podcast, where you discover your inner story, break down the process, and meet others who've done it so you can leap into your own story. Remember to visit our website at leapintoyourstory.com and enjoy even more great episodes like this one. Again, while you're there, subscribe and like to us via your favorite social media network. We're looking forward to seeing you next time on the Leap Into Your Story podcast.